of forgiveness. After receiving Christ as my personal Lord and Savior at the age of seven, uh, over the last 60 years, you can do the math there, over the last 60 years, I have obviously, naturally, you grow. As you grow, you learn. I'm talking about growing spiritually. You learn more about the Lord and what he is like and what he desires and what he wants in our lives. And you grow in the word. And what I mean by that, you learn new truth and then you build that truth into your life. And so for, for 60 years now, that's been my process is learning more about the Lord and more from his word. And I'm still in that learning uh, mode in my life. I will be until he calls me home or we hear the trumpet and he comes back and we're all gathered together. You never stop growing and learning. But one area of my life I struggle with in, in maybe a unique way, I don't think so because uh, being a pastor for 40 years uh, and having a lot of casual, obviously multitude of casual conversations with people about the Lord and things of that nature or even in counseling, um, I find that a lot of people dealt maybe in a different way, but dealt with the same issue I was dealing with when it comes to God's forgiveness in our lives. And, and so here's how it kind of would unfold for me. Um, I would sin against the Lord. And of course, then I would be convicted of that. I'd feel guilty about that. And I'd go to the Lord in prayer and I would ask for that forgiveness and then receive that forgiveness. But then that wasn't enough for me. I felt like I had to kind of put myself in a penalty box or a penalty time. Uh, and in my mind, I was thinking I was doing this in respect of God. Just kind of let him know how serious I was about my confession and, and the reality of that sin in my life. And so what I meant by putting myself in a penalty box, I wanted to give God some space, all right? I have sinned against him. I have disappointed him. This is the way my mind is processing. And because I have disappointed him, and yes, he has given me that forgiveness then, but I just, I just want to give him some space for a while, all right? Uh, kind of like we do growing up, you know, when we're, uh, we're children and we mess up and we do something wrong and we have to deal with that with our parents. And, and so we, we kind of after that give them some space. What I mean by that, we don't just turn right around and start asking them for stuff. You know, we just kind of back off a little bit and let them, you know, just let the dust settle, so to speak, all right? But here's the problem. I was doing that with God. Some of it was consciously, some of it was really subconsciously, but I wouldn't pray. That was my problem after I had confessed, I had received that forgiveness, then I just kind of left him alone. <laughs> and, and even though I had needs in my life and I had requests, I needed to be bringing before him. It may be a couple of days, it may be a week, uh, sometimes longer than a week, just going how seriously I thought that sin was. And so in, in my mind, I had to kind of, earn that forgiveness that he has given to me. I had to, I had to do something merit-wise to show my sincerity of my confession. And so I put myself in that penalty box and, and just kept my distance from him for a while. Now, the problem was that one day I came across this verse in Hebrews chapter 8 and in verse 12. 
And I did this for a long time. And maybe, maybe this is something you have in your own way, maybe subconsciously, consciously you have done. But then I come across this verse. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, quoting from the Old Testament, reminds us of what God had said. And listen to this. God says this to us. He says, he says, I, he says for I will be merciful toward their wrongdoings and their sins, I will no longer remember. Their sins, I will no longer remember. So in that verse, the Lord reminded me, he said, look, there's no penalty box here. Now, I'm not saying that there's not issues with sin when it comes into our lives. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his forgiveness and then our response and our walk or talk or fellowship with him after forgiveness. And, and so because sin does have consequences, some more than others, we, we can choose what we want to do, but we don't get to choose our consequences, right? That comes with whatever that choice was. But in terms of his forgiveness and restoring of my fellowship with him, he simply said, hey, there's no penalty box here. There's no penalty time that you've got to set aside and give me some space and, and let the dust settle and not bother me anymore. He says, no, as soon as I forgive you, the slate is wiped clean, and so I, I'm ready. Share your heart with me. What you need, and of course what I needed most of the time was help to deal with the consequences of the sin I had committed. But see, I backed myself out. And so as a result of that, I listen to me. And maybe you've done this in a different way, but you've, you've had the same experience. What, when I did that, what I did is place myself in a position to be vulnerable to my enemy, to be vulnerable to Satan himself. Because all he wants to do, listen to me carefully, is plant a seed of doubt in my heart. I plant a seed of question in my heart as to how much God really loves me. Now, we teach this and we rejoice on this and it's the word of God. I can tell you God's love for you is unconditional. Do I have a witness on that? Absolutely unconditional. He can't love you any more than he loves you right now because he loves you with all of his heart and soul as he is as God. He can't love you less because it's not based upon whether or not we earn that, we merit that, whatever it is. So here's what happens. In 40 years of pastoring and until I learned this truth, I, I would ask people, are you forgiven? And here's what most of their response was. I hope so. Ever thought that? I hope so. Well, that's not what God wants us to, to be thinking. He wants us to be able to say, yes, I know I am fully forgiven. But here's what the problem was. When we start taking our human response like on our human level here outside the word of God and, and we begin to, to, to uh, uh, portray that onto our relationship with God and we, we pull ourselves away, here's what happens. Satan plants that down. And you say, yeah, oh, I know he loves unconditionally, but then we get thinking about all the things we have done wrong every time we've messed up, we think, and we begin to ask ourselves this question. But can he love me unconditionally? Can he love me? 
Pastor, if you only knew what I have done in my life, if you only knew the thoughts that were in my life, if you only knew the attitudes I've had before me, if you only knew these things, you'd be like me. You would question. Yeah, God loves unconditionally, but can he love me unconditionally. And if I begin to doubt whether he can love me unconditionally, then I begin to doubt his forgiveness. Can't he really forgive me like that? Well, if that's something you have struggled with or struggling with, or you know someone, that that seems to be a pattern in their life, that, that they that they, uh, they're just struggling with accepting this incredible unconditional love and this unmerited grace of God in their life about the forgiveness of their sins. That I, I just want to remind you of a few things this morning. People have written books on this, so obviously we're just scratching the surface. But I just want you to consider two things with me. First of all, what I simply call a faith acceptance. A faith acceptance. Well, a faith acceptance of what? The faith acceptance of God, listen, God's forgiveness of you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to, you've got to settle that. We need to settle that in our own hearts. So let me begin as we look at this. First of all, in Hebrews chapter 4, just go back to your left just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4 and in verse 16, very beautiful, very powerful verse where God is telling us, listen, as his children, as, the re as redeemed children of his incredible family, he says, this is the way I want you to approach me. We're talking about Almighty God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. He says, here's the way I want you to approach me. So he says in verse 16, Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, no hesitation, anytime, any place, about anything. He says, I want you to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Well, listen, let's just be honest. If we're struggling with God's unconditional love of us, if we're just questioning that, if we just have any, any doubt at all concerning that, then we're not going to approach him confidently. Uh, most of the time what we're going to do, we'll think about it and then we'll back ourselves out. And that's one of the reasons I think so many followers of Christ who know by truth that prayer, communion, walking and talking to the Lord is such a vital part of this incredible personal relationship with him, but it's not a vital part of their life because they're struggling with his unconditional love of them. And of course, also his forgiveness because they can't get out of, away from that guilt they feel that I felt even though I know he had forgiven me. But Lord, I, I, I just can't let that stand. I gotta put myself in this penalty box or this penalty time so the dust can settle since I have so disappointed you. Well, that's not what the Lord desires at all. He wants us to know 
the depth and the height and the width of his forgiveness that came. Are you listening? Say amen. When you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, I want you to understand the level, the height and the width of God's forgiveness in your life. So with that, turn with me to two passages of Scripture. First of all, we'll begin in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read verse 7, the first part of verse 8. So follow along with me. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, our Lord Jesus, he says, in him we have redemption. That's our salvation, all right? That's the gift of eternal life. But with that comes the gift of forgiveness. And in fact, he words that in just a moment. But he says, in him we have redemption, how? Through his blood. Now think about that. The sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as he personally shed his blood because the scripture says, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And it's not just the shedding of blood. The truth of the matter is, it's the shedding of only one person's blood and that's the son of the living God. And so he personally shed his blood for our redemption. And then notice what it says in the very next phrase. He begins to describe that this way. The forgiveness, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, that is our sin, forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, the first part of verse 8, which he lavished on us. There's only one acceptable payment for the guilt of our sin. And that's the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's the only. What does that mean? It's not anything I can earn. It's not anything I deserve. It's not that I can go and say, Lord, look at all these good things I have done and these good things I'm doing and the good things that I plan to do. Well, it's great that you're doing these quote-unquote good things. It has absolutely nothing to do with his forgiveness of your sin or his forgiveness of my sin. It's on earth. It's unmerited. There's only one way, only one payment, and that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that when anyone, anyone who is here, if all of you have, or if you're, uh, the Lord is speaking to you even right now, says this is what you need to do, then, then understand that when you accept him as Lord and Savior, you are forgiven of all those wrongs through the grace of God. And listen to what he says here, that he lavishes upon us. He lavishes his grace. Now, I've, in the past, on several occasions, I'm sure I've, try to give you a picture of what that word lavish means. So I, I'm going to go back to it because really I like to rivet it into your heart and into your mind so that anytime you are struggling with the incredible love of God for you and, and struggling with his forgiveness in your life, you go back to this picture. It's the picture of standing under a waterfall. So if you can right now, using quote, sanctified imagination. Picture yourself under that waterfall. 
and you're standing there and that water's just, it's just coming so beautifully over and just coming right over you. You are literally, you have been drenched and you are continually just being drenched with this overflow of water that just keeps on coming and, and you're there just receiving it, being refreshed by it and, and it's, it's, it's nonstop, just literally drenched with this incredible water that is coming. That's the grace of God. That's the grace he offers everybody if they're willing to receive it. That he wants to, he don't want to just touch your life. He just wants to give you a bite or a smidgen. A little thing between Mark and I. A smidgen of his grace. Oh, no. He wants to drench you continually. Lavish his grace upon your life. Through what? Through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, take that image, take that truth, and turn with me to the right to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want to read verses 13 and 14. And so Paul, writing to the church in Colossia, said, and when you were dead, that's talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death means I have no relationship with God. I, I am literally separated from him. I know of him. Maybe I believe that he is, but I don't have any personal relationship with him. So I'm spiritually dead. And when you were dead in your wrongdoings, that is in your sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's the word to the Gentiles, he says, he made you alive, spiritually alive. He made you alive together with him. How? Forgiving us all our wrongdoings. Circle that word all. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But he says, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt. Well, what debt is that? Well, it's the debt of my sin, the guilt. Listen, the guilt of my sin. He says, of degrees against us, which was hostile to us, obviously. And he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. So he's taken the guilt of my sin. This happened 2,000 years ago. He was dealing with my sin then. And he took my sin and he nailed it to the cross. And you can visualize that picture with Christ on the cross and the nails driven in his hands and the nails driven in his feet. Our sins were being nailed with him. And he was paying in full for the guilt of our sin. Notice what he says, all our wrongdoings or all our sin. Now, what does that mean, all? It means every sin in my life. 
there's so many people who read this and think, well, okay, so when I come to that point where the seven, like you, Pastor, or some other time in my life and I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, then all the sin that was in my life prior to that time was nailed to the cross and I was forgiven of all that sin. Well, that's true. But what about the sin you have now? If his sacrifice on the cross, if his shed blood on the cross only took care of your past sins when you come to that time we accepted Christ, then what are we going to do with the sins we have committed since then? Look, I've got 60 years of this stuff to deal with. If the only payment that is acceptable, think with me on this. If the only payment that was acceptable was to shed blood of Christ on the cross, paying, paying for my sin, but it only took care of the past sins, then to deal with the other sin in my life, he's going to have to come back and be crucified again and again and again and again and again. And that's just not me. That's you too. So when Paul says all, this is so amazing. When he says all, he means all. Past, present, and future. Scripture says in Psalms 139 verse 16 that the Lord not only knew us before we were ever conceived in the womb, but it reveals that he knows our entire life. He knew our entire life prior to being conceived in the womb. He knew when we would be born. He knew when we die. He knew how much time. But guess what else he knew? Oh, yeah. He knew all the junk that was going to be in our lives too, all the sin that was going to be in our lives too. So that, listen, this is why we call it amazing grace. This is why we call it unconditional love. This is why we call it a no-so hope. When I accepted Christ at seven, received him as my Lord and Savior, as a redeemed child, he applied a pardon in my life. He gave me a full pardon of the guilt of all of my sin, of all my life. It is a full pardon and it is a forever pardon. So that when I get up in the morning or when you get up in the morning as a redeemed child of God, you wake up and you start that day in a state of being spiritually forgiven of the guilt of all your sin. Now, in the early service, they got a little Baptocostal at that time. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wrap your mind around it. That's why he says, approach my throne of grace confidently at any time, any place, about anything. It has nothing to do with me. 
nothing. I didn't earn that. You didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. It's the incredible, unconditional love of God, the unmerited grace of God in our lives through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well then, what do we do about this other stuff? <laughs> because we all still sin and fall short of the glory of God. Do I have a witness on that, right? Amen, yeah. I mean, that's not a good amen, but you know what I mean. It's truth. So what do we do? Well, we go from a faith acceptance of what this says. What we just looked at. Now, there are books written on this, volumes of books, and we just kind of touched on it, but we accept that by faith. It's the only way that, that you can wrap your mind around that and wrap your heart around it. It's going to be by faith because God said it in his word. This is a declaration of God. It's not my declaration. I'm just telling you what God has said. So we move from a faith acceptance to what I call a family affair. You see, at that moment, seven years, when I was seven years old, the old sanctuary up here where the parking lot is now is where I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I became immediately a redeemed child of God. That means God's no longer just my creator. He's not only just God, not only just eternal God, not only just most high God, he's my father. And he is my Abba Father. So that when John, when John would write as he did in 1 John, turn, turn there with me, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he can write it this way because he's talking to redeemed children of God and he adds himself in that. He says, if we, so he says me and you and everybody I'm writing to and every believer that's reading this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The greatest need in my life is to maintain a sweet, sweet fellowship with my Lord, with my Lord and Savior, with my eternal God and Father in heaven. Just sweet, unhindered fellowship with him. But I blow it and I sin. And so he instructs me through John, another redeemed child, that if I confess my sins, he says there's going to be two things. God's going to respond in two ways. My Father in heaven is going to respond in two ways. Number one, he's going to be faithful. He, listen, he will never let you down. Never let you down. Just in case you didn't get that. He'll never let you down. He's never let me down. So there's never been a time I said, oh God, I am, I have sinned and I confess that to you and I ask for forgiveness. There's never a time he said, nope. 
that this time. You've, you've committed that sin too many times. I'm done with you. No, that's not your father in heaven. Hallelujah. You see, on the human level, we do that. On the human level, we, we don't forgive the way the Lord forgives us. We, we draw a line, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we draw the line. And, and as a result of that, relationships are destroyed, fellowship is never restored. It's just, but not our Heavenly Father. He's faithful. He will never, ever let you down. When you come in sincere confession, he, he, he'll never, ever let you down. And, and as I was thinking about that and the picture of my father, how he res- has responded to me in, in my life since I was saved in the last 60 years, I thought about, you know, the story of the prodigal son. A lot of you know it. Some of you don't maybe, but let me just kind of remind you of it. And turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 15. And, and I'm just going to read a portion of it in just a moment. But let me just kind of set the story Set the story up. Jesus is telling a parable. And in this parable, this father had two sons. And one of the sons got his eyes on the things of the world. It happens to a lot of believers. We talked about that just last week. It's so easy to get our eyes set on the things of the world. And then, boy, we just, it's like a slow fade. You know, we just start moving that direction. Well, one of them got his eyes on the things of the world. And, and he didn't want to wait. He, he was ready to go out and live his life. So he said, Father, I want my inheritance now. Whatever it is, whatever amount it is, whatever you plan to give to me, I want it now. And so Jesus tells this parable where the father gave it to him, and of course, he just, he took off. And boy, did he take off. Scripture says he went to a far country. Scripture says he took everything he's had and was given to him and he squandered it. Listen, just squandered it on riotous living. In other words, just went out there and lived a life of sin. As creative as he could be until he just spent it all. Of course, when he spent it all, all who were gathered around him <laughs> left him there alone. And he ended up getting a job, feeding swine, and he was so hungry that he was ready to get on his knees and eat that food that he was also feeding to the swine, to the pigs. That's not a pretty scene, is it? In other words, he he was hitting rock bottom. He's a son. Listen to me. Here's the key. He's a son. He's the son of the father. And this whole process, he never became not a son. He was always a son and would always be a son. But at this time, he has gone so far and he's been gone so long and he's hit rock bottom. Well, as Jesus tells the story, he comes to his senses that he's going to go back home. And so it says, picking up the story in verse 20, Luke chapter 15 and in verse 20, It says, so he set out and he came to his father. Now watch this. 
But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. <laughs> and then just think, just put this in context of the human level. Is that the way we respond? Maybe sometimes. But most of the time, this is us. We see them coming back. And we want them to crawl their way back. I want you to know how serious your choices were. How bad it was for what you have done. So are we moving off the porch? No. We're just... We're going to make them as miserable as we can. Now, in our mind, we're going to drive that point home so he won't do it again. Wrong. That's not our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. The moment he said it, Jesus is telling the story. And the Father here represents our Heavenly Father. That's part of the story here. We get so consumed with the prodigal, and we should. We should not overlook that, obviously. But it's the Father who's really radical here. It's the Father's love that is incredibly radical here. And so it goes on to say that, that he hugged him, and he kissed him, and he ran to him, and <coughs> the son is confessing to him. And it says in verse 21, it says, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Have you ever felt that way as a follower of Christ? Oh, why did I do that? And just, you just feel so unworthy. Folks, in and of ourselves, just ourselves, we're never worthy. But in Christ, we are eternally worthy. And it fascinates me that in this story, the son confessed his sin, and the father said not a word to him about that sin. Why? The forgiveness was already there. The forgiveness was already applied. He just needed his son back. He just needed his son to come and be honest about his life. And so he just, he never said a word to him about it. In fact, it says that when he said that I'm not worthy to be called your son, it says the father said to his slaves quickly, he just almost ignored him and said, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate. Wow. You, you can get Baptist all that too if you want to. How awesome. That's the way he deals with me. But that's the way he deals with you. The eagerness, the joy in the heart of God when we return. And we're there dealing honestly with the sin that's in our life. And he's saying, look, the blood has already been applied. 
forgiveness is here. I'm just glad you're back home. How awesome that is. I, I, I look at this, I think of his unlimited love. You know, you have to ask the question, well, how far is too far? Well, we don't know. It just says he went to a far country. So however far he went, it didn't matter. He could have gone even further. But the fact that he came back in confession, are you listening to me? How, how long is too long? Well, we know he was long. He was gone for a long period of time, went through, a, went through all of his stuff, went through a famine. Now he's in a hog pen. It didn't matter how far he was. It didn't matter how long. But as soon as he came back, he's faithful. Faithful. Celebrate. My son is back. For this son of mine was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. And they began to celebrate. His unlimited love, his unlimited grace. He'll be faithful. And then second thing is he will be righteous. He will be just to forgive and cleanse of all unrighteousness. Well, what's the basis of that justice? What is the basis of that righteousness? We've already addressed it. It's already been what? Nailed to the cross. It's already been forgiven through the blood of the Son of the living God. It's already been pardoned. And again, it's a full pardon. And it is a forever pardon. That's how awesome our God is. Our Father. And so... We don't need these penalty boxes. If you don't know Christ, what you do is you need to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. And everything I just described to you right from the word of God becomes a reality just for you. But if you're like me and you know Christ, we're imperfect. We do imperfect things. We sin then his arms are wide open and he's running towards you even right now if you need that special.